0: the 17th of November, if you haven't done so already. Please, please, please spend some time in the Word of God. Where in the Word are you today? Took us like, I don't know, three weeks uh, in our evening study to get all the way to the fifth chapter of the book of Hebrews, but that's where in the Word uh, I am. So there you go. Where in the Word are you today? Um. Are you a part of a mini church? Mini, M-I-N-I. Are you a part of a mini church? It's apparently the fastest growing group of Christian congregations in America. The mini church. The mini church. I want you to think of this just for a moment. The intentional fellowship of less than 65 people, where everyone knows your name, your pain, your prayers, your business. Are you a part of a mini church. I was reading the FACT 2020 survey results. That's a faith communities um, survey that takes uh, place each and every year from faith communities today. And, you know, I'm reading this this survey and I'm saying, wow, that's a lot of little churches. Maybe that is where we're headed. Uh, and so when you think about why the mini church might be the latest trend in American religion. Um, I suspect your answer to that question, you know, there might be a COVID answer to that question. There might also be a a community demographic answer to that question. The demographics of your community may have changed. There may be a church life cycle answer to that question. Um, There may be a church planting answer to that question. There may be an answer to that question that has something to do with the depth of relationships that we know are required to really grow in faith and serve in faithfulness alongside other Christians. So I want you to just consider for a moment um, how many people gather together in corporate worship, in whatever you experience as the body of Christ or the church today? Are you a part of a mini church? There's actually a mini church movement. I don't know that everybody that's in a mini church thinks of it as a mini church movement because a lot of people are looking around and, you know, they feel like half their congregation is gone. You know, they had 150 people a few years ago. They they remember that and now they look around and there's fewer than 50 people maybe. And they're lamenting that. And I guess what I'm suggesting is maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's the thing that in the midst of the times in which we live uh, makes the whole experience of being a part of a body more real. I mean, how many people can you really know? How many people in those megachurches do you really know? Well, megachurches, even large churches— um, are very very intentional about small group or community group ministry being sure that the big church is experienced at a small level where people know your name they know what 's going on in your life they 're praying for you they know your kids they know the challenges that you 're facing they 're there for you um, you can respond more immediately to uh, to concerns um, you know you can really be the church the church really being the church not only that we are um, being discipled in the word of God and that the word of God is being handled appropriately, rightly, but that we are the body of Christ in terms of like the family of faith. So I want you to just ask yourself, am I a part of a mini church? Have I thought about my church that way? What does the church that I'm a part of look like today? What did it look like in the past? And what might that mean for the need for planting lots and lots and lots of little churches? Lots and lots and lots of little churches. What might that look like going forward here uh, in the United States of America? All right. uh, Those are my thoughts and reflections on the topic of the mini church, which is apparently the fastest growing group of Christian congregations in America. Are you a part of a mini church? All right. Next up, we're going to talk about the economics of Thanksgiving. Yep. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. People are all the same.
1: You want to go where everybody knows your name. Wash it down, maybe a couple of anchovies. Make this oh, yeah. Uh,
0: Scott texting in there, a little uh, hat tip to Paul Perot. Awesome bumper for the mini church conversation. Theme from Cheers, everybody knows your name. Scott, that's because Paul is excellent at his job. Oh, shucks. I mean, seriously, you're so good. So, yeah. All right. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving and the economics of Thanksgiving. Um, And we had planned to do so with our friend Bill English, but he's not feeling too well this morning. And so let's lift up a prayer for him. You know, like God is busy out there in the world as the great physician among many whom we know and love. And so Uh, God just brought several people to my mind who I know are in need of God's physical touch today. My guess is God brought people to your mind as well. So let's be sure that we're praying for our friends, our coworkers, our neighbors, the members of our family. Um, I mean, I'm thinking of a a couple of friends in Minnesota. I'm thinking of a friend in Ohio. I'm thinking of a friend in Michigan. I'm thinking of a a family member in Arizona. All who need God's healing touch today. Um, So let's be sure we're praying for each other in that way. Confident of God's grace to heal. Um, The economics of Thanksgiving. So, this is going to be uh, a wide ranging conversation about the spiritual economics of Thanksgiving. Have you even ever thought about like the spiritual economy of things? So, you know, I mean, I recognize people are making much of just how expensive Thanksgiving is going to be this year. Um, And apparently, that's because you're not going out and hunting your own turkey. I know. That's probably a conversation for another day. Um, So it is going to be more expensive this year. Let's think about ways that we could um, keep the cost down. And certainly let's find ways to share the bounty of our tables with others. Um, Maybe you should have like a collaborative Friendsgiving where, you know, a bunch of people get together and have a bit of a potluck Thanksgiving uh, to bring the cost down for everyone. That way everyone doesn't have to buy everything Uh, But everyone can bring something, contribute what they can, and then collectively, collaboratively, you've got, you know, all of the dishes literally covered. Covered dish. Yeah, there you go. All right. So when we talk about the spiritual economics of Thanksgiving, what am I thinking about? Well, I'm thinking about God's gifts, God's blessings, what God has supplied. I'm thinking about uh, abundance. And I'm thinking about a table. I'm thinking about a common table. I'm thinking about communion. When I think about the economics of Thanksgiving, I'm thinking about all that God has given and the God to whom all thanks is due. So what does it mean to give thanks? What does it mean to show appreciation? Well, it's very personal. Um, it doesn't make any sense at all for me to just sort of like give general thanks. I mean, I can't, I can't sort of send a general thank you note I have to send a personal thank you note. Like someone gave me a gift or invited me to something or shared their time with me or an act of service. And so it doesn't do any good for me to just generally say, well, thank you. No, it has to be specific. Thank you, you, the individual for the specific thing. You can't write, you can't, you can't mass produce thank you notes. Have you ever noticed that? Like, you You know, don't you? Don't you know when you get a thank you note where you you you, you can tell, oh, well, they just wrote the same thing on everybody's thank you note. This is not personal at all. I don't even know if they actually opened the particular gift that I gave or made the association of me, the gift giver, with the gift I gave. This is a general thank you note for the gift, a gift. Thank you for the gift. No, thank you specifically for a gift, the gift, whatever it is. So let's be super specific and very personal this Thanksgiving when we give thanks to God. So no general um, cover the landscape prayers of Thanksgiving, you know, no like general thanks to God for everything, specific thanks specifically to God for specific things. What would make your list? I mean, yes, we recognize from James 117 that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights above. But what's on that list of every good and perfect gift that comes from God? So we're going to count our blessings when we come back as a part of the spiritual economics of Thanksgiving conversation. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. That's Paul Perot bringing forward a Matthew West Thanksgiving song about gobble, gobble. All right. So when are you going to gobble, gobble on Thanksgiving? Who are you going to gobble, gobble with? Let's uh let's talk about counting our blessings in the spirit of James 117. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of Lights. So, how do we count those blessings? What makes your list? How does our list of blessings received line up with God's list of blessings bestowed? So, one of the ways I think about this is when we make a Christmas gift list or the list of things we're going to put in someone's stocking or the list of things that you need to accumulate in order to approach the season of Advent in a way that's going to be a day-to-day blessing, not only to your spiritual life, but the edification of those around you. I mean, on and on and on. What's what's on your list? And then what actually makes the list in terms of the blessings received on the other end? Because that's where we find ourselves right now. God has been bestowing blessings all year, every day, in every moment upon each and every one of us. He has poured out good and perfect gifts day after day after day after day after day. We have been recipients of all those blessings, and yet we don't make a very good accounting of that. So I want us to think this year, in terms of counting our blessings, what's on my list of blessings received? And how does that line up with God's list of blessings bestowed? What's missing from my list in terms of God's blessings? What am I taking for granted is another way to think about that. What do I think I deserve or have earned? What's so common that I forget to thank thank God for it? Maybe things we don't even consider blessings because they run contrary to how we feel about things or how we see the world. You know, um, when it comes to an accounting, I don't know if you have this experience, but I mean, I have an accountant. I'm very thankful for my accountant, and I'm so thankful that my accountant likes to do accounting because I do not like to do accounting. When we do accounting at this time of year, when we count our blessings, I mean, let's make an account. Let's make an account of answered prayers, of forgiven sins, of miraculous healings, of those but God realities. All right, so we're going to give God thanks at Thanksgiving, in Thanksgiving, in a spirit of Thanksgiving, with thankful hearts. We're going to do so personally and specifically, so personally to God, specifically using this list that we're going to make of blessings bestowed and received. And we're going to do so with a particular attitude. All right. So there's an attitude of gratitude. It is actually a thing. And we know the opposite. We know people who say thanks begrudgingly. We've we've been there or, you know, with the roll of the eye and, you know, they're not actually thankful. They just feel obligated to say thank you. All right. So giving thanks to God is not just specific and personal. It's also attitudinal. I don't really know if that's a word, Um, but it's with an attitude of gratitude the outward expression of an inward reality. And then ultimately, I think um, we have to acknowledge that it matters to God that we return thanks. I think there's some people that are like, why do I need to thank God? God already knows everything. I mean, God knows I need it. God knows he gave it. God knows I received it. God knows I used it. I mean, isn't that enough? I mean, God already knows. What difference does it make? Well in Luke seventeen we have this story of Jesus healing ten people and only one returning to give thanks. And and there, it clearly breaks Jesus' heart because he says we're not ten healed. Where are the other nine? So don't don't be one of the don't be one of the other nine. Be the one who takes the time to return and give thanks to God. For all he has done. I think there's also a generosity conversation that comes when we count our blessings, when we live with an attitude of gratitude, um, and when we take the time to specifically and personally thank God for the amazing, extraordinary gifts He has bestowed upon us. Some of those are um, physical and tangible, many of them are spiritual they're internal they're relational they're forgiveness itself i mean the very the very gift of having rent the curtain in two from top to bottom that gives me access to the very throne room of god in the in the nanosecond that i turn my attention in that direction that is a gift god gives it continuously i access it continuously and for it I am grateful every 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 single time. I'm awed. I'm awed by the gift of the access we have to God through Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm I'm absolutely awed by it. All right. There's a generosity conversation to have here as well. Grateful people give generously. Grateful people who know that we are recipients of God's good gifts are also conduits of those good gifts to others. Grateful people have generous hearts. We give out of a heart of thanksgiving. So we um, who have been blessed and have counted our blessings, named them one by one, we live out of an abundance mentality, like, right? Because the, the one from whom all blessings flows never runs out. He never runs out. God has an abundance mentality because God owns the cattle, not just on a thousand hills, but all the other cattle as well. So there's a generosity conversation. There's a there's a conversation to be had here at Thanksgiving about sowing back into the lives of others from the relative abundance that we enjoy. So whatever access you have to resources, I consider that you know a stewardship conversation. God has placed you as a steward over a particular wealth of resources. And you can either understand yourself as having access to those resources as a steward, or as the person who owns those things with this possession mentality, like I possess these resources, they are mine. None of it is ours. Right? This is a temporary situation we're in. And so let's be very, very mindful that the resources that are within our reach right now are intended to be um, deployed through faithful hands into the faithful service of an ever-faithful God. All right, so those are my thoughts on the spiritual economics of Thanksgiving. I'm sure you have thoughts as well. I'm open to hearing those. Uh, you can text me at 877-933-2484. When you think about the phrase, the economics, the spiritual economics of Thanksgiving, what comes to mind? You are listening to Mornings with Carmen, and we'll be right back. All right. Let me invite you into uh, a moment of prayer right now for a fellow listener who is trusting God for His good and perfect provision for the replacement of a vehicle that was totaled in an accident last week. Yeah, we know um, the goodness of God and we know His desire to bless. And so, pray with me, Father. We uh, we lift up Deborah right now. We thank you for protecting her body from physical injury. Um, We thank you for your provision of transportation. And Father, we just ask boldly right now as a community of believers, one in the spirit, that you would provide a replacement vehicle. You are gracious to give, and you know Deborah's need. And we thank you in advance for the way in which you intend to answer this prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. right. We're going to give thanks to God um, for he is good. We're going to acknowledge that his steadfast love endures forever. We're going to count our blessings. Um, We're going to count it all joy. We are going to present our requests and our desires to him because he is faithful. He is faithful to answer. And this isn't a give to get, uh, you know, kind of scheme. This is an acknowledgement that God is a good, good father and delights in giving good gifts to his children. All right. Scott James is going to join me next. Uh, He is a doctor and a dad. uh, He's an elder at his church. He is also an author. And we love uh, what he writes and the way that he writes for our families. And so we're going to lift up The Expected One. It is a family Advent devotional anticipating all of Jesus in the Advent. Scott James joins us next.
1: This is Max Locato. Belshazzar became king of Babylon in 539 B.C. In a fateful feast, he ordered the holy implements taken from the temple in Jerusalem be used as wine goblets. Why? The king wanted to blaspheme the God of Israel. His irreverence did not go unnoticed. Out of the sleeve of the night, a mysterious hand came into view. The finger of the hand carved a message into the plaster. Belshazzar trembled so much, he collapsed. His astrologers and diviners could not interpret the message, so Daniel was summoned. At the precise moment, he was explaining the prophecy of the end of the king's reign. The Medo-Persian armies were preparing to take the city. The takeover was fast. The mighty nation of Babylon collapsed. Belshazzar was killed. Our God is a just God."
0: glory to the All right, Scott James is back. He is a doctor. He is an elder at his home church. Let's see, what else can I tell you about him that we haven't said before? Um, I think this was news to me uh, in addition to serving as a research research fellow for the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. He also serves on Focus on the Family's Physician Research Council. I didn't know that. I do know that Scott is an author of books and a dad. Scott James, welcome back to Mornings with Carmen.
2: Hey Carmen, thanks for having me back. Good to be with you.
0: Well, it's great to have you. Um how um how are things in pediatrics these days?
2: Things are good at the moment. Uh we're <clears throat> settling settling down a little bit right now. So uh Uh, settling into what I would term as a a, a new normal.
0: Good. Well, that's good to hear. All right. So um, settling in is not what we're doing in relationship to the holiday season. In fact, we are all getting necessarily unsettled in order that we can, you know, ramp up for all of the hustle and bustle of the holiday season. And I think that's why our conversation about Advent and preparing ourselves and our families for Advent is so important. Tell us about the expected one anticipating all of Jesus in the advent.
2: the expected one is a an advent devotional uh, that really is geared towards that that aspect that you mentioned preparation so uh, I, I'm of the nature that if I Uh, am celebrating and uh, feasting and partying kind of for a prolonged period of time, I get worn out and and things I begin to take things for granted, right? The celebration sort of loses its shine if I'm always in celebration mode. So when I approach Christmas, and when I was thinking about how to shepherd my family to approach Christmas, uh, I kind of, this this concept of Advent, which is an an old concept in, in church history, is just basically the season of fasting before the feast. And so that season of preparation, spiritual preparation, looking forward to the coming celebration, uh, is just an opportunity to, to take some personal reflection and to be thinking about just that baseline need that we have. So why is Christmas so amazing and worth celebrating? Well, it's because of the desperate need that I have for a Savior. And so uh, taking that season of Advent, that season of preparation, where I sort of reflect on my need for a Savior and the promises of a coming Savior, uh, I, I find that, that sort of helping my family focus on that, not in a doom and gloom sort of way, but just in a, 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 a prepar- preparatory fashion, uh, it makes Christmas morning shine so much brighter because you're kind of sort of coming through that fast. And then the feast is just marvelous. So the expected one is, is a, a relatively straightforward and simple devotional uh, book. It's primarily designed for families, but it can be used by anyone. And it leads you through Old Testament passages with just sort of reflections that trace the thread of the coming Messiah all through the Old Testament, uh, then highlighting his glorious arrival on Christmas morning.
0: All right, so I'm just going to open to December the 9th, which features Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. And so the reading is, and I'm reading from the expected one, anticipating all of Jesus in the Advent. And yes, we're giving copies away today. So if you want to text the word book to 877-933-2484, you can enter that drawing. All right, so on December the 9th, we have Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. See, I am going to send my messenger, and he will clear the way before me. And then um, Scott writes this. God promised that he would send a messenger ahead of the rescuer in order to help God's people recognize him. The messenger would announce his arrival. When the time actually came, the messenger would proclaim, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which is a reference to John chapter 1, verse 29. And so we turn the page And we have these connecting questions to ask with our kids. Why do you think God sent a messenger to tell people uh, that the Savior had come? And then, Scott, you so generously provide an answer for the parent, because it totally occurs to me that we now live in a generation where parents want to do this, but parents weren't raised in families who did this. And so if only the question is on the page and the answer isn't provided to the parent, we don't really necessarily know what we're going for. Um, And so in answer to the question, why do you think God sent a messenger to tell people that the Savior had come? Scott offers this. He wants people to be saved. So he made sure to tell them clearly that their Savior, Jesus, had arrived. And then you ask your kids, who was this messenger? The answer, John the Baptist. And then you reflect. What, uh, who do you know that needs to hear the good news of Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away our sin? What is keeping you from being God's messenger to them? And then there's a prayer point as well. Ask God to give you the heart of a messenger. Ask him to empower you to tell his story to all who need to hear it. And I would then say um, the soundtrack for that page might be Go Tell It on the Mountain. So um, um, so uh, there's a rhythm to the way that you've designed these. I, um, I just recognize that, you know, we have a generation of parents who were not raised in homes where this was the rhythm of Advent um, or the rhythm of preparation. They don't. They don't necessarily know how to ask their children questions about these texts, and they're not certain of the answers. And so I just really appreciate that you've made it plain and simple and beautiful.
2: Thanks. I, I definitely recognize that as well, that there are a lot of people who would be interested in this sort of uh, this idea of family worship or just uh, spending time in the Word together as a family. Uh, but that's that can be daunting. That that can kind of feel like uh, I know a lot of parents, I know I myself feel Uh, ill-equipped for that sometimes. And so even though I would have a good desire to do that, I would be kind of not certain about how to go about it. And so I really, uh, I I wanted to make this book as accessible as possible. So, I mean, the biblical truths there are hopefully profound and life-changing. So I don't want to sell that short because the Bible is the center point. Uh, But the the devotionals themselves are rather concise and straightforward and um, manageable, I guess I would say, because I think, uh, a lot of times you, you have this ideal picture of, of you're going to gather around and spend time in the word together as a family. And like 45 minutes later, the kids are kind of bonking their heads against the wall because you're just droning on about, you know, something or reading way too long of a passage or something like that. It just becomes something that is not feasible. And so I, I wanted to make these uh, to, to where a family could manageably uh, dive into the word together in a in a significant way. And yet. Honestly, if you sort of go through these, they, they each day takes about ten minutes. Uh, I will give a caveat: each day takes about ten minutes, unless you or your kids uh, go on some beautiful tangent where you're tracing all kinds of amazing questions, and that's what happens uh, a lot of times. Is I gave those suggested answers because I want you know, like you said, I want parents to kind of have a backstop. I want parents to be able to have you know, if there's crickets when they ask the question, I want a parent to be able to have something that they can. Teach their kids in that moment, but what I find honestly is oftentimes my kids uh, answer above and beyond the little parentheses suggested answer that I have and they're tracing threads in different directions and we've been doing this exact uh, devotional we've been doing this devotional in our family for over 10 years now, uh, because I wrote it for them a long time ago. And so now over the years, as they've gotten into the rhythms and the habits of doing it, they're seeing connections they never saw before. They're kind of, you can just see these eureka moments. You know, each December we do this, some Mm. new layer clicks in their mind and in their heart. Uh, And they take my wife and I on these beautiful tangents uh, where they're tracing threads that I didn't even draw out in the book. So it's, it's really fun to watch.
0: I love that. I love that. The book is The Expected One, Anticipating All of Jesus in the Advent. The author is Scott James. He joins us now. We do have copies to give away. If you want to enter that drawing, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. We'll be right back.
2: Come, thou long-expected
0: So what are you expecting this Christmas, or better asked, who are you expecting? How are you preparing your family and yourself for the expected one? That is the title of Scott James' Advent devotional, um, helping us anticipate all of Jesus in the Advent. Um, Scott, you also uh, offer up the risen one, because obviously Christmas only gets us so far in the conversation um, as people of faith. So talk a little bit about the risen one.
2: I do think uh, as excited and as much as we celebrate Christmas, uh, one of the goals of the expected one was to sort of put it in context when we think of redemptive history, when we think of God's big rescue plan. So that's why the expected one spends so much time in the Old Testament sort of pointing out all the different aspects of who Jesus was going to to be like the promises were not just about a baby in the manger the promises were about the righteous life that he would live and the death that he would die on our behalf and the resurrection and eternal reign that he would um, uh, perform so uh, the the risen one was basically just sort of a, a thought of continuation so now that we have unleashed the feast of christmas morning Uh, We enter into a a new season. We enter into Christmastide. We enter into uh, eventually epiphany that goes into Lent that leads into Easter. So we've got this traditional church calendar that not everyone is familiar with, and that's cool, but it is essentially a roadmap (coughs) that can help guide a family or help guide a person uh, just to think through who Jesus was and what he accomplished on our behalf. So the risen one (coughs) is something that... uh, I figure if a family has gotten into the habit of family worship and doing some devotionals throughout the month of December as they uh, uh, observe Advent, then I think <clears throat> why not just keep that going into the new year? And, and so the Risen One is a—it's a, instead of a daily devotional, it's a weekly devotional, and it's going to span a longer amount of time, and it's going to help uh, a family uh, have weekly devotionals in, in which they just basically sort of walk through. Uh, the life of Christ and his preparation for the cross and then his accomplishment of our salvation on the cross and then his resurrection and beyond as he unleashes the church with the power of his spirit. Uh, So weekly devotionals, think of it as kind of a Lenten and Easter devotionals that a a family can walk through. Uh, It's got, you know, uh, weekly uh, devotionals to read through and then a daily reading plan that that families can kind of continue in the word each and every day uh, as as well. So it's just the goal is just to keep families in the word, keep keep families uh, returning to uh, that precious time together where we can help point our kids to the word and show them that God is worthy of our time and attention and affection.
0: So, um, Scott, I want to Go in a slightly different direction with our conversation today because i've been've been thinking about having the opportunity to talk with you and just recognizing the incredible range of challenges faced by children today and you know as a pediatrician as a dad as a church elder um, as a concerned christian you know when you when you sort of scan across the challenges um desperate challenges in some cases that kids face here in the United States of America but also around the world. Like I'm just I'm just wondering in your own time with the Lord are there some like why questions that emerge and some like painful struggling with the Lord in terms of why kids are living in with such privation and distress today.
2: Yeah, the, there's certainly there's certainly a lot of heavy um, heaviness that kids are walking through today. I think honestly, even in ways that I didn't walk through as a kid, I, I think every, every season, there's nothing new under the sun. And in every season uh, people are faced with, with challenges and uh, uh, the effects of sin in, in our life and in our world. So in that sense, we've all had that experience growing up, uh, seeing the darkness of the world. These past couple of years obviously have been a bit unique in the way that kids have been facing just, Massive amounts of obstacles and challenges and just depression in all sorts of ways, uh, spiritual and and physical and everything. As a dad, uh, as a pastor and as a doctor, I'm walking through that with kids. Uh, I'm a pediatrician, so uh, I'm seeing kids who are suffering uh, serious physical ailments uh, over the past two years. Um, and, and then also just, yeah, the mental health issues that come with that and then kind of everything's sort of interconnected. This is we got to have a, a holistic look on how we're caring for our kids. Uh, so I've certainly mm-hmm. seen that physical and mental and spiritual uh, health are all intertwined. And, and so I think I do ask the why questions and I, and I do have to plead uh, ultimate ignorance as I, I don't have a full comprehension as to why God is choosing to do some of these things right now, but uh, ultimately have to hold on to that, that it, it, sovereign view and that ultimate hope that I may not understand why, but I trust him completely. And so uh, even if even if I can't answer every difficult question that uh, a child asks about why am I having to go through this, um, what I want to do is give them a firm foundation. I want them to be able to ask those hard questions and not be floundering uh, unmoored, no foundation, no anchor as they ask them. I, I, I want them to know Jesus Christ, and I want them to have a, a firm root in the word of God and a, a firm belief in God's ultimate plan for goodness, right? Like he is He is for us, not against us. And so even as kids are facing uh, these just crazy challenges, I'd like to root them in the word of God, and I'd like to give them that foundation. Mm-hmm. So I think that's one reason why these books like this and, and just any anything we can do to help parents, shepherd kids into a word, into the word, and into a deeper relationship with God it is going to help them navigate these hard situations and honestly ask those questions in faith. Ask those questions, trusting that even though I may not understand everything, even though I'm confused by some of this stuff, one thing I'm not confused about is who God is. Uh, so uh, any, I, I want to lead them into the word. I want to help them develop habits and rhythms of uh, personal devotion and personal study and prayer, and so that's why uh, I really hope that families are able to to model this through books like the Expected One and the Risen One and many others, or just simply opening the Bible themselves uh, as a family. Mm-hmm. So um, I would encourage uh, parents to to model this for their kids and, and and let them know that they're struggling too, right? Like kids are exactly. going through a lot, but but as a parent, boy, this has been a really hard few years. Uh, so I, I got to be yeah, open and, and- honest.
0: Yeah. And it's okay to say, it's okay to say, Hey, I'm just like you, I am a child of God. And so together, even though we're confused or we're a little bit scared um, about some things, or we don't, you know, we don't know why something is happening the way it's happening. You and I are both as children of God going to trust God. We're going to, we're going to trust our good, good father. um, You know, and I'm your parent and that is an amazing, um, amazing thing. And I'm going to do my very best Um, But we're in this together as, you know, as children of God as well. I think that there's an empowerment there to the kid, um, to children, you know, particularly of a certain age, um, that invites them to walk alongside us as we walk alongside them. Because it is, uh, discipleship is this odd journey where people in different generations get to walk beside each other as brothers and sisters. Mm -hmm. And that's that's a strange reality as well.
2: Yeah, and not only is it okay, it is dangerous to pretend otherwise. So if mm, if amen. you as a parent have an inclination to uh portray like a like a I don't know a a, a certain type of strength like an invulnerable strength that I got this <laughs> and I, I'm not faced by this and you're sort of all the actual uh sadness that is going on around you you're sort of sweeping under a rug and, and not acknowledging um you're you, that's a that's not a healthy model for your kids. So I I I need to show my kids uh that I'm a sinner in need of a great savior. I need to show my kids that uh, I'm affected by the sin around me and it, it affects me deeply. And I need to find healthy ways to trust in God as I navigate that and and represent his love to the world around us. It's hurting so much. So I think that vulnerability is something that kids need to see modeled, not in a hopeless way, but a, a vulnerability. Like I said, that is rooted in an ultimate hope that God is good and he does have us. He will keep us.
0: Amen. That's Scott James. He's the author of The Expected One. We'll be right back. All right. What a joy to be with you today. Thank you so much. Let me encourage you to get into the Word of God before you get out there into the world that God so loves. Maybe we go forth today with one good word. What's one good word you could walk out into the world today? Your one good word could be peace, joy, hope, expectation, gift, blessing. What's your one good word? Beauty, faithfulness, forgiveness. One good word. Have a great day. God bless. Yes, 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 yes. You're right. Noelle Mehring talks really fast. Just imagine how fast she thinks. All right. So you can go back later and listen again to Noelle Mehring and our conversation about Awake Not Woke um, at MyFaithRadio.com. You can listen there on demand. You can also listen uh, on demand on the Faith Radio app later on, you can go and download it as a podcast, right? And then you can listen to it. You can take some notes. It's that good. Um, so yes, she talks really fast, but I'm, I just thinking the whole time, how fast is her brain working that her mouth is moving that fast? Like, I, I mean, I talk fast. Some people think I talk fast. No, I, I don't talk anywhere as fast as some, All right. Well, there you go. Um, yeah, that was a little bit of jealousy on my part. I love her. If you're not uh, already following her, please consider it. Okay, uh, we are going to go forth from these conversations to be Christ's ambassadors in the world that God so loves. We're going to apply the mind of Christ to everything that we encounter today, to every conversation, to every situation. We're going to be people of peace. We're going to sow peace in the world as ministers of the gospel. That is who we are, and we will live as none other. One of the things Noel said is you know, how powerful words are. Words are Change the world. One word in particular, and his name is Jesus. Have a great day, and God bless. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play music app. That way, you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at myfaithradio.com.